Hello and welcome back to the Thoughtful Realtor Podcast. I'm Kenny Gong. I'm Connie Chung. I'm Cliff Sang, and we're the founders of Willamar Real Estate. And this is a show for those interested and invested in the world of residential real estate. And in every episode, we sit down for insights and stories and conversations about all things in the real estate market today, running a real estate team in California, and finding our way as leaders and business partners. And today we've got Cliff in the hot seat. He's going to be toasty. Yes. (laughs) So excited to talk to you, Cliff, about your journey in real estate investing. Mm -hmm. And to kick it off, why don't you tell us how it all started for you? Sure. Yeah, actually, my it's it's funny because my the roads that led me to Willamar were actually started on on the investing side. So I'm excited to, to share this. With, with, with our audience. So my, my real estate journey started back in 2013. I was kind of in the passenger seat. My dad helped us buy a townhome in Southern California in a city called San Dimas. And so that was my first foray into real estate investing. I didn't really know it at the time, but seeing him manage the property, collect rent, mm-hmm. sign leases, those types of things, it was really my first experience seeing real estate on, on, on the other side, kind of being, yeah. being a landlord. And I and still remember he... one of the light bulb moments that I had was yeah. when we collected rent and then used that rent to pay off the mortgage and had a few hundred dollars extra. Mm. I was just thinking like, this wow. is not game changing money by it. Yeah. It was like, wow, it, it really yeah. was. I mean, I still remember that feeling of like, ah, all my years prior when I was a renter in Berkeley for college or in San Francisco as a tenant, that's what I was doing for another landlord. I was helping them pay off their mortgage. Yeah. So it was really a big kind of light bulb moment. And then and side note, like it was really interesting to see my dad manage it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, this might be a little bit, I don't know, mean or kind of crude, but you know, I don't think we did the best job managing the property and also yeah. seeing that it could still work out financially. That was kind of another light bulb moment to me too, of like, okay, we might be onto something here. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're not, we don't have the best record keeping. We don't have the best tenant management. We're renting yeah. by room and forgot to sign this new lease with someone. So kind of all the, not by the book, but seeing that it could still work out financially. Yeah. That's kind of, those were, those were the starting moments yeah. back in 2013. Yeah. So the opportunity of being able to do things a little bit better, tweak things a little bit could have some pretty big return. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Did your dad invest prior to that? Did he have experience, other experience investing in real estate? That's a good question. No, he didn't. Yeah, so I don't know okay. what kind of gave him the courage or the thought at that time to go for it. And he yeah. doesn't own, now he does. He owns a couple properties in Atlanta in, the, in that metro area that he's bought with some friends. But back at that time, it was just our primary residence that, he, that we had and then this other one that, yeah. that we bought. So I don't, I, I actually haven't asked him what, yeah. what led him to, to think of that at that time. Mm. It seems like also it was an opportunity for him to be able to say, Cliff, let's do something together. You know, you're, you might've been at a particular age Mm. where it felt like a good time. So I'm curious to know what you think could have been going on in his mind. Mm. That's such a good question. I've never thought about it from that perspective, but it's really making me, I'm getting some warm feelings about my dad and just appreciating my dad right now because he, he truly was like a very entrepreneurial 
person or i mean is mm-hmm. you know he started his own all state you know all state agency insurance brokerage yeah. down in socal and just always thought about things from more of an entrepreneurial perspective and i think him seeing that and living through it and mm-hmm. knowing the ups and downs that can come with being an entrepreneur and running your own business but also the joys that can come from it i th- i think he wanted to plant a seed with yeah. me and 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 see if it's something that could sprout yeah. You know, because I'm guessing maybe from a parent's perspective, you, you plant seeds and see what things your your kids take hold of and see if it works out. And I guess, yeah, I, I do give them a lot of credit for this whole mm-hmm. real estate journey that I've been on over the last, yeah. you know, eight, nine years. Really, those, those seeds were planted with my dad. Yeah. How how involved were you in that first San Dimas purchase? I, so I, my name was on the, like the deed. The deed is still between me, my mom, and dad, mm. and then the mortgage was just me. And so that was actually another interesting thing to learn from because then I started to file a tax return and get to understand oh. how some of those tax benefits work and flow through, you know, your own tax return. And then he was pretty much mostly hands-on for the the management piece. But as I started to get a handle on how things, you know, needed to operate, then I started to take control over some of those things. Mm. I'm not I'm not scared to share this, but a lot of it also was like frustration with seeing mm-hmm. my dad at what, what I thought was not managing it all that well. <laughs> and I think you two have gotten to know me over the years too. Of just like, I think I'm someone who like, if a process can be better, mm-hmm. I like to jump in and really try to make it better. So that's really what happened with that rental mm-hmm. property was like, hey mm-hmm. dad, I think I can step in and just maybe organize things a little bit differently. And then seeing like, that gave me confidence to mm-hmm. be like, okay, yeah, I, I know yeah. I can do this with one property. Maybe I can start to think yeah. about scaling this up with, yeah. with others. Yeah. Ooh, what are a couple of the processes that you you changed or made better? Yeah, this this might sound just really, really simple, but just back then, you know, like putting things in the cloud mm-hmm. and just having a, a, a shared drive of the leases and also like a Google spreadsheet or an yeah. Excel mm-hmm. spreadsheet of like tenant name, you know, the rent yeah. that they're paying. When does their lease end? Yeah. I know it sounds so simple, but I think like... It might not be intuitive if, if you've never really used Excel or something like that to, to organize it in that way. My dad had a lot of like handwritten notes, for example, mm-hmm. that he would yep. like scan. That was just kind of, you know, how he did business. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was like digitizing a lot of those things. And mm-hmm. then also more communication via email so mm-hmm. that we ha- would have it in writing as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the they, see, they seem simple. All these things seem simple, but they're pretty fundamental like they're really important to get these basic things down before you can actually optimize it even more or before you can improve it because i think it's actually there's probably a lot of real estate investments that are run via handwritten notes (laughs) via handwritten ledgers via handwritten just documents that yeah if you don't if you don't have them elsewhere they're nowhere else to be found that's, that's a really good point. I mean, still to this day, if you think about the average landlord, I don't know the statistic on it, but I'm guessing mm-hmm. they're 50, 60 plus. You know, they didn't grow up thinking about things in terms of Excel spreadsheets and all of that. So, and I've yeah. seen that a lot too with, you know, some of the documents that get shared when you're looking at an investment property. They're either handwritten notes or they're very kind of rudimentary, like piecemeal put together yeah. documents. And, and you could tell that it was just not the most organized behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your dad planted some seeds and they indeed sprouted and sprouted very, very prolifically. So tell us a little bit about from that first investment property, getting the inspiration to really, really dive in deep. 
Hmm. Yeah. So 2013, we bought that property. And then it wasn't a few years later until a few years later that I bought another property. I was working at a tech company. Shout out to Hotel Tonight. Some of my best <laughs> career, I don't know, moments from, from working with, 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 with those people. But I remember I sold my, my shares when I left the company. And, you know, I had a, about $150,000 that, that got wired into my account. Yeah. And I remember just in that moment, I was like, I want to use this to invest in real estate. I don't really know mm. what fueled that. It, it definitely was largely what happened in 2013 and seeing that over the last few years. And also I joke that like in an Asian household, there's just generally a lot of talk about real estate and real building estate. wealth yeah. in that manner. Yeah. Joke, but not joke. I mean, it really does happen a lot like at the dinner yeah. table and, and all that. Um, so so then I just I just kind of went for it. I just dove really deep into the literature. Mm. Bigger Pockets was was big at that mm. time too, but not as big as it is now. I got addicted to listening to podcasts. No joke, you know, I'd listen to one or two a day during the workout, during the workday. I still remember Misan and I, we went to Hawaii for vacation. I think it was in 2016 or 2017. Yeah. And I spent the whole week, we went to the beach, we did all the fun stuff in Hawaii, but I just brought books with me to every yeah. place that we went. Like we'd be lying at the beach. And I remember I finished Aww. like two real estate books in that week. Wow. And she, she was very kind and patient, but I also thought, I think she knew that some something was the wheels were turning in my head mm, of like yeah. ah something this 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 guy's getting addicted to this and really mm. wanting to learn about it just beyond like the natural curiosity that comes from things. Um, mm -hmm. So so then I bought a, a rental property in in Philadelphia. That was the first one mm. that I bought on my own, and and Philadelphia because for Hotel Tonight I used to cover that market. Oh. So I, and also two of my closest friends live in that area as well. So it was based on price point, knowing the market and having read up on all this literature on out of state investing. And I, I really, in hindsight, it was a pretty risky move. I didn't really know yeah. what I was doing at the time. And it did lead to some good learnings of kind of getting scammed by my mm -hmm. contractor. But now, you know, six years later, all, all good, all good experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was it, it was tough at, at the beginning. Walk us through what that looked like for our listeners who you know may have may not have bought any property, you know, let alone a, a rental or investment property. Did you fly out there and just start looking at homes? Did you connect with a realtor who was local? How did you get pre-approved? All yeah. of all of the mechanics of your pro your investment journey. Yeah, I. I wish in hindsight, I wish as, as methodical, like just the, mm. that question that you asked is like, what are the steps? I didn't really know the steps at the time, mm. but, but yeah, the first one was finding a real estate agent. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Jeremy Sade, who's still a friend, someone that I you know keep in touch with. And yeah. he's been a great mentor along the way. And I interviewed a few other agents, but we just didn't mm. click. And I could tell that they weren't really as investor focused. And, you know, and, and by investor focus, I mean, hey, I might be submitting offers more based on the numbers than the emotional connection on the home. So we might be submitting more than a couple, you know, just mm -hmm. being willing yeah. to, to send, send out offers. So, so yeah, that was the first piece. And then everything kind of followed from after finding that good real estate agent, mm -hmm. he connected me with local, yeah. a local lender, Tioga Bank, that's based in Philadelphia. And it kind of just opened my eyes to how the investor world operates. I didn't really know the real estate, like the residential, um, piece to it already at that time, of course, but just knowing that, you know, you need to find a local bank. Usually you definitely need to find a local real estate agent. That local real estate agent might be able to connect you with a property manager and also a local contractor, those types of things. And starting to think about building your team because effectively mm -hmm. 
yeah, I'm out here in California. There's no way that I'm going to be able to fly out to Philadelphia for every single issue that pops up. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. So kind of thinking about it from, from that perspective when you get started. I'm curious to know, I know a lot of people have concerns about investing out of state. And as, as your first go around investment property being out of state, take us through a little bit of that, that thinking, were you nervous about being out of state or did you kind of just learn about investing while people were already investing out of state? And I, and I asked this because my dad, who has been investing in real estate for over 50 years, would never do anything that he cannot visit himself on mm. a regular basis. And so generationally, it seems like there's been a really big shift. And, and you were at that time, especially sort of at the forefront of, of when that shift happened. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Mm. Yeah, I remember there's a kind of a seminal moment too. I remember when I decided that I wanted to buy property in Philadelphia, I remember flying out, taking the red eye, and then taking an Uber to this little area of Philadelphia called Maniunk. It's kind of, I don't know how I would describe it, maybe like the marina of Philadelphia. It's like, I don't know, it's a nice little cozy little suburb. And I remember walking around, and as I was walking around, I had already seen a lot of the streets because I had done Google Map View and explored all the neighborhoods. And I had researched the different stats on population growth, crime rates, you know, what employers are nearby and all those things. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this couldn't have been done five years ago, 10 years ago. Mm. And I, I, I didn't know it at the time, but yeah, I, I think it was kind of like at the forefront a little bit because since mm-hmm. then this idea of out-of-state investing has really taken off. And I really mm-hmm. wish that I had kind of dove deeper into it at the time. Mm. But technology really has, has changed the game yeah. for, for folks and, and allowed you to kind of, from an objective standpoint, evaluate real estate. Mm-hmm. What was so crazy before might not be as loony of an idea. Even like this simple thing of on Yelp right now, you could message 10 vendors all at one shot to get mm. bids for mm-hmm. for anything, yep. right? Landscaping, fix this toilet, etc. And that in and of itself is like a game changer in some ways mm-hmm. because then you can quickly discern like what is a fair price to fix that toilet, which mm. someone ten years ago would have to call ten people and like just would be so much of a headache to, to do. Yeah. But but it was really scary. Yeah, I remember all of those things. I kind of it was trial by fire, learning as I was going. You know, I'd never sent a wire of that amount before. I probably haven't really had, had sent a wire period, you know, up until that point, confirming are you getting scammed, chatting with lenders, knowing that they know that I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, all of those things. And I, yeah, I remember it was, I just kind of used an equation to, to buy the home, which was mm-hmm. like at the time, it was something like your ARV after repair value, kind of the final product should be, you should, your purchase price minus, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. But it's about 70% of what you sh- your, your all-in cost initially should be about 70% mm. of what the final product should be. So that gives you some buffer to do some repairs and also give you some wiggle room to make sure that you're getting a good enough deal. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I literally submitted the, the first offer. I think it was 115000 And when he asked, why did you come up with one fifteen, it was it was in that equation that people that was your purchase on bigger pockets. That was the purchase price. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And... I, yeah, there's this term, I think, with out-of-state investing becoming so popular today. Are they calling it, is it like la- la- laptop landlords? Um, oh. And there's a lot of glorified kind of appeal to it. But I know it's so much hard work, and I know you've gone through a lot, Clef. Can you share some of the early exp- you know, struggles or new experiences? I know you mentioned contractors scamming you. Can you tell us a little more about what that was like? 
Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. Yeah, I just saw a Wall Street Journal article in the last few weeks that was that dubbed this new phenomenon laptop landlord. I yeah. thought it was a creative name for the, for the group. Yeah, the one that comes to mind was, was related to this the first property that I mm. bought. I found through Yelp a contractor that had good reviews. I remember meeting six to eight contractors over two days, you know, got bids from all of them and decided to move forward with, with this one person. And I didn't know at the time, but I, I knew that he knew that I was naive and also being mm. out of state that he could kind of twist my arm a little bit and kind of ask for things that are a little unorthodox in the process. So I started paying him ahead of schedule, which is what you should never really do with a contractor. I've, I've heard the term a third, a third, a third. So a third upfront for them to get materials, or you can even buy the materials directly at Home Depot or what have you. So you don't have that initial third cost to them directly. A third when you're halfway through the project and then a third when you're finished with the project. So that kind of keeps incentives aligned for them to keep to, to finish effectively and, and do it on time. But I paid him, I can't remember what he, what excuse that he used, but he said, hey, I, I need this final payment before we finish. Mm-hmm. And so pretty much the last two months of the project, he didn't show up, it was really hard to get him there. And when I flew out to Philadelphia to check on the final work that he said was all completed, I actually, I found out that it was fake photos that he sent me along the way. So the countertop was installed, but there's no plumbing underneath. The vanity was literally just taken from Home Depot and just placed against the wall, but no plumbing behind it. So you could just move it, you know, without much effort. And it was a really scary moment because we had tenants moving in, I think, three weeks from there. Mm. And I was just kind of freaking out because, you know, everything had kind of gone according to plan for the most part. But to think, oh, no, I need to redo, restart Mm -hmm. the last few months and then delay everything was just Mm -hmm. pretty nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. But I guess the silver lining from that was I I did end up finding a really good contractor. Mm -hmm. So my property manager recommended someone and he, you know, the property manager said, okay, we need to get someone in ASAP to kind of save the day for you. Mm -hmm. And that contractor has helped me with other projects. He's been a a friend, a great contact Mm -hmm. as well. So kind of all all worked out, thankfully, but it was a pretty scary moment. Oh, I know getting local property management has been very crucial for you. Tell us more about that and why it's so important for you to have a property manager for your properties. Yeah, I I think for me, it really comes down to like, you can always self-manage and do it on your own. That's an option. But at some point, if you think about it from a scaling perspective, you're going to run out of time effectively. And I think it's kind of thinking about the longer term vision of what do you want real estate to provide for you? Mm. Because if you end up managing those properties, maybe five is doable, 10 might be doable as well, but at some point it becomes a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, usually if you're buying property without the thought of having a manager in place, it's even harder to put them in place at that point because you're like, Mm. what, I have to give this person 10% of my rent off the top. I'll just keep taking that one phone call that pops up once a month. I'll do this. I'll just drive out. It's only 20 minutes to do this. For, for my property. And and that's, I think, where you start to see more burnout happen with landlords. And so I've always just kind of been under the philosophy of like, hey, if you're going to own real estate from the get-go, find mm. a good property manager and let that person kind of stay in their swim lane and do what they're an expert at. And especially if you're doing out-of-state property, I think that's almost a, a it's a must-have. You know, to, mm-hmm. the, if the yeah. plan is to manage it from out-of-state, I think you're going to run into some hardship pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. From that single Philadelphia property to where you are today, what does your portfolio look like today? And what are some, maybe some milestones in between? Mm. Yeah. So yeah, the, the journey has been 
maybe kind of I'll go through kind of quickly how the portfolio has grown over the years. Yeah. So I bought a few in Philadelphia, but you know, quickly that little sub-market became pretty saturated. You could tell that mm. maybe some other investors were coming in or people could yeah. tell that it was a little bit underpriced. And so the prices kind of started to ratchet up a little, pretty quickly as I started to get my sea legs and feel like I knew what I was doing. So then we started to just kind of expand to other places. This was really out on a whim. This was in 2017. You know, I asked Misun and I was like, hey, let's think about this as investing together. Where would you want to buy some real estate? And side note, that's been a really, really powerful thing for us too, is like thinking about bringing our spouse or like significant other along mm -hmm. the journey, right? A joint mm -hmm. financial kind of journey to, yep. to, you know, building wealth. And she picked Austin, mm -hmm. which I kind of vehemently thought was not a good <laughs> choice at the time. And of course, I think everyone on the, you know, everyone knows what's happened to Austin since 2017. It's just, it's, it's probably been our best investments thus far. Yeah. So that's also been a side thing in my head of just understanding maybe you don't trust know. Me, like, son. Trust, trust, <laughs> trust, trust yeah. your wife. That's, trust, trust your wife. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good summary of, of, of what I learned. And then after that, we started to partner with some friends, mm -hmm. uh, a couple friends from from college. We bought a twenty unit in Charlotte back in twenty nineteen, and that was kind of the same journey of what I said. What happened in Philadelphia on a single family home was on a twenty unit because there's new learnings for all of that. Mm -hmm. It's a commercial mm -hmm. loan. We took out what's called agency debt through, you know, big CBRE effectively. Mm -hmm. And so that was a whole nother learning process of like thinking about how to manage a, a bigger property and also raising funds from some friends and pulling things together. And then we started buying a few more properties in Kansas City. And then more, most recently in about almost a year ago now, Connie and, and, yeah. and I bought a property in Madison, Wisconsin. So a lot of it's been just, as I feel like I've learned, kind of feel like I know what I'm doing. I've always leaned towards thinking about how do I kind of bring other people mm -hmm. along this journey? Of course, there's mm -hmm. risks with partnering with friends, but I felt like, hey, this is a good thing. Let me let me think about how to share it, share mm -hmm. on the upside and, and the learning and the growth with other people and mm -hmm. kind of bring them along the journey. If, if mm -hmm. I've made some mistakes, then they don't need to make those same ones mm -hmm. on their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've got single family homes, condos, townhomes, townhome. One town home. Well, yeah. One town home. A couple of very large residential apartment complexes. And they're, yeah, yeah. They're they're small, medium size, yeah. Small, medium size. Okay. And then also, is there any any other exciting property types? Mixed mixed property types that we can put into or any property types we can put into the mix? These are properties that so I've started to do some other investing on the side as well on some projects. So I don't know the full kind of details on them, but they're like self-storage. Mm -hmm. um, I've invested in like a ground up self-storage development mm -hmm. project out in Charlotte. There's another one that's a brand new townhome build as well. So those are ones that I don't really, yeah, I don't know the, not in the weeds. Mm -hmm. you know, I really can't articulate kind of all those details, but I'm, I am starting to think about expanding beyond you know, what, what my knowledge base is and trying to think yeah. about like, how can I partner with other people as an investor with them? Mm -hmm. And maybe they can take me under their wing so that I can think about larger projects down the road mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. I love that cliff because I think you're illustrating that you don't need to be the expert in what you're doing, but partnering with those who really do know. And of course, clearly you've done mm -hmm. your research and are an expert in many ways, but also to leverage resources is really leaning on people mm -hmm. who know what they're doing too, as a viable investment route and I know you've mentioned in the past about 
different businesses to invest in, like dentist, dental offices, <laughs> laundromats. Yeah. I mean, the options right. are endless. And I love that you're always so curious and thinking with this investment hat on. And it's certainly opened my perspective in many ways. And yeah, when I think about the property we invested together, I'm like, Half of it, I don't know what's going on, but I trust Cliff. And I think that's a huge thing is really having that trust in, in who you invest mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting observation, which is with real estate investing, really the team is so important because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, like you can outsource almost every job function, mm -hmm. which is kind of, I think, shocking for people to, to really think about. But if you have a good leasing manager, good loan officer or bank that you work like almost every piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. you really don't need to 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 be hands-on directly mm -hmm. as long as you found the, the the right people to, to help with so yeah and, and i just find the the business aspect like you bring up the laundromat and dental offices i you know i got a good chuckle out of that but it's like i i don't know when it's maybe it's going back to my dad of just planting some of those seeds of thinking mm -hmm. about this world in a very business oriented way mm -hmm. and it's really kept me very engaged it excites me you know yeah. those are yeah. things that i enjoy thinking about during the day yeah and i think also what's also really exciting about this as a takeaway is that there's so many different ways to invest in real estate and mm -hmm. as a corollary to kind of building out your team i think a part of it is also allowing ourselves and in this case, our listeners to really invite them to see real estate investing as not mm -hmm. something you don't have to do it as a full time thing. You know, you, if you mm -hmm. if you find opportunities, there's so many different opportunities out there and you don't have to be completely hands on. You don't have to source all the money yourself. You can you can if, if there's so many wonderful mm -hmm. opportunities out there and good people that are trustworthy, that have experience, that have knowledge that you can partner with or just help. And so that you can really use this as a way to build your own wealth, but not do it super, super actively. And I think that's such a huge takeaway. And I, and I encourage people just mm -hmm. to really see it as, yeah, a lot of different ways to engage and a lot of different opportunities to explore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of related to that. One one thing too that I wanted to share was the investing piece has really pushed me to grow my mindset as well, mm. because there's a there's a very interesting phenomenon. I I'm trying to think what other industry this applies to, but with real estate investing, it's it's kind of odd. Like once you know how to source and think about managing and buying a call call it a ten unit building, that person is very likely capable of buying a hundred unit building mm. of course there's learnings and, and you know you're not not able to just jump into it but if someone's able to manage a 10 unit very well they're very likely able to do it the same thing with a hundred unit and yeah. it unequivocally it's not 10 times harder to manage a hundred unit than a 10 unit so there's this weird kind of mental barrier that happens where you go can i should mm. i yeah why do I have the odd, like who thinks that I have the audacity to own a hundred yeah. unit building? Like, yeah. you know, these big real estate developers and all that stuff. So it really pushes you to think, why do you have, I guess, limited, you know, limited belief mm -hmm. mindset or some of those things that, that mm -hmm. really come to, to the forefront forces you to, to grow, you know, if, if you want yeah. to get there. And, and it's unlike un other industries that I've experienced because I think like, you know, for, for Willamar, for example, I think we've seen like, as your team grows, usually it's kind of a little bit more linear in terms of the challenges and like things that the 
could happen to the to the business owners. So just like more things to think about. But it's kind of an odd thing with real estate investing. It's not linear in that same way. Mm-hmm. Like even like managing a team, you know, back like in the, in a corporate setting, if you manage a team of two people versus a team of twenty people, it might not be ten times. It, it is harder though, right, to manage mm-hmm. a team of twenty than mm-hmm. two. But I think with real estate investing, it's odd. It might it might not be that much harder managing a, a hundred unit versus a ten unit, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if you've got the the folks, the good people on your team. Mm-hmm. Tell us mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. your vision, Cliff. Like, would love to see and think through what your goal is for building out your investment portfolio. Ah, that's such a good question. I I wish I had a very clear, defined vision. I this is more of just a, a vanity kind of metric, but I've just kind of in my head wanted to get to 100 units mm-hmm. in the next couple of years. So that's kind of what I'm mentally, you know, gunning for and just kind of prepared for. But I, in terms of like longer term vision, I think there's some thoughts on like, um, you know, like monthly cash flow, what mm-hmm. that might look like. I, I'm, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of like the FIRE movement, you know, like the financial independent mm-hmm. retired and mm-hmm. trying to think about how can I kind of get there fully by investing more mm-hmm. in, in real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of related to that too, is I think I found such a passion and love for real estate. And hopefully I think if we get to some more freedom in terms of time, I'm hoping it also applies to Misan as well, mm-hmm. of just like, mm-hmm. then maybe she doesn't feel like she needs to be shackled or whatever the word oh. we, we want to use of her, uh, of her type of job right now that she, you know, she might, um, you know, might, might not be the most excited about mm-hmm. in that working in that industry and working in tech. You know, I think I've generally heard a lot of that from a lot of friends that still work in tech, that it's, you know, not the end that they want to be at. Mm-hmm. And then giving her the space to think about what, mm-hmm. what she wants to do. That, that like warms my heart of like, I'm working hard. So, uh, you know, like, to f- I don't want to say for, for her, but a large part of it is, is for yeah. her. Because she's opened up this path. She was the one who really encouraged me to get mm. into real estate to begin with. But I didn't know anything about it. And now I want to do the same. Like this mm. has created this opportunity for, for both of us, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Now that there are so many resources out there for people to learn and people to engage, like we were just talking about, there's a lot. I would I, w- I have a sense that there's a lot more real estate investors and a mm. lot more wannabe investors excited to get in, get in to their first investment. So I'm also wondering though, with that shift, there's a lot more players out there now. And so I'm wondering, are there things that you've been seeing um, change in the industry because there's so many more people? And mm. are there things that people should also be aware of or should think more thoroughly than they do mm. <laughs> now that it is so much easier and there's so much more access and so many resources that I, I have a feeling that also there's some people who might think they know more than they actually do and may make decisions based on that. Yeah, that's a really good observation. I think, you know, in the investing world, you hear a lot about this term like frothy. Things feel very frothy right now. Valuations, prices mm-hmm. seem really frothy frothy like i guess the stock market was that way yeah. know, a year ago real estate prices still feel i think pretty frothy overall because they haven't come down all that far relative to to other markets so i think you're right i think there's a lot of hubris with real estate investors who had it really 
good over the last few years. And I'm not trying to say that I'm, you know, wiser, older than than those folks because you know that I was kind of part of that rising tide. But I think you're right that a lot of people think that they are better than they really are. There's that Warren Buffett quote of like, you'll know who's swimming naked when the tide comes back. And it's like, <laughs> I think that's may come to fruition, you know, in the next few years, mm-hmm. we'll really get to see who was, who was really sharp and who was running the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing, you know, now that I host a real estate investing class and, you know, go to these conferences and chat with a lot of people who are, are really skilled at real estate investing, in my opinion, and also people who are getting into it. I think mm-hmm. generally I'm pretty shocked at how, how few people are actually running the numbers. Especially the newer people who got into it. Because, hey, if you bought this property in Phoenix and you didn't have to know anything and it went up 50% in value, you just keep doing that. But you've never really looked at the fundamentals of like, okay, will the rent in a worst case scenario cover the mortgage and all those things? Do you have exit opportunities? Do you have options effectively if things go sideways? And I think a lot of people are just um, a little bit blindsided Mm -hmm. by that, you know, Mm -hmm. or blinded by that, right? They're just kind of fixated on the yep. the the shiny object at the end of hey mm-hmm. we can make some bucks some quick bucks mm-hmm. without yeah. thinking about really running the numbers and thinking about the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. What are some more of those fundamentals that you think folks should really pay more attention to? I think I, I I'm a believer that like population growth mm-hmm. and wage growth are really the two drivers for real estate prices and really afford you a lot of protection. You know if things go a little bit sideways and then cash flow. Mm-hmm. So I think just at a fundamental level like a rental property in my opinion that you buy should be cash flow positive. You know, some people mm-hmm. I think are more speculative. They're willing to buy it for it to be losing money every month, but hey, the market might appreciate 10% and then they'll 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 make some money at the end. But I've I've always seen cash flow as that insurance policy that you have every month. You know, so for example, if something, you know, rent rents out for a thousand dollars, your all in cost is eight hundred per month, including mortgage and some, you know, funds for if the furnace breaks or those types of things. So you're pocketing two hundred dollars extra a month. That to me is pretty good protection because like rents would need to go down 20% from 1,800 before you're neutral. And then that's not even taking into account part of your $800 a month expense. Part of that's going towards your mortgage payment. And that in its, mm-hmm. of itself is some forced savings because you're building up some principal every month. So really in that hypothetical scenario, rents would need to go down maybe 30, 30, 35% mm-hmm. for you to actually start to lose money. Mm-hmm. And I think that that offers a good amount of protection because I think historically we haven't really seen something, you know, that'd be a pretty drastic cut in rents to go down 35% for a sustained period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to wrap up, I've got one last question for you. How has your real estate investment journey impacted your life and your relationships? It's made it just so much more fun. I, you know, going to these conferences, meeting different people at conference, like it's just really expanded my, my scope of like what's mm. possible in the world. I think I've, I mean, I've, I've felt that so much too with Willemar, right? With working with all of our different clients. I think most most people fix operate in a very tight bubble of what their world is. You know, you go to work, you see some friends from church, you go, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But I think when you work in a job or an industry where your job is to meet people and to find, mm-hmm. you know, deals for clients or just see what's out there constantly, you realize that there's so many just different people out there. And that's just been the, the funnest part. And I think also partnering with friends along the mm-hmm. way has really added an extra layer of how I get to know someone. You know, you're friends mm-hmm. with someone, you grab a beer with them, you get dinner with them. But then now when you buy a, a property in Madison with them, see another, <laughs> see another side. And then you're like, oh no, knows. never again. <laughs> yeah. 
sometimes, sometimes I'm sure. So, but, but yeah, it's just, it's just been really, really fun. And I feel really, really blessed to, to, to be on this journey. And what a journey it's been thinking about 2013 and that first inkling that your dad had to say, Oh, you know, maybe we should get a, maybe we should get a little piece of real estate. Yeah. It all started there planting some seeds. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So Cliff, tell us also about this real estate investing course that you have. Oh yeah. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for teeing that one up, Ken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've hosted it three times now and it's all just been for fun. I, the, the, where this came about was about a year ago, Misa and I were hiking in Hawaii and I was thinking, how can I just kind of give back to, to yeah. community and to friends? And I posted on Instagram thinking maybe it'd be five people that are interested in this class. And then it ended up being, I think, maybe 30 people joined the first one. And I've kind of hosted, you know, three times at this point, all free, four class. Each week, it's one hour, 45 minutes of content, and then 15 minutes of Q&A. I even ship out two books to everyone who, who wants a copy of them. Two, yeah, two, two real estate investing books. And it's just been a lot of fun. So folks, mm-hmm. if you're interested, be on the lookout. And I think that is great ending. There you have it another episode of the thoughtful realtor podcast and we thank you so much for joining us you can find us at willamar.com or on instagram and youtube all the places at willamar on instagram we're willamar underscore underscore and if you haven't haven't already then hit the subscribe button and leave us a review we read each one of those comments and we love hearing from folks and, and please share the love yeah. And if you have friends or colleagues looking to invest or, or have already begun their investment journey, share this episode with them. Sign up for Cliff's investment class coming up soon. We'll be posting some dates in the near future. And yeah. until, until then, <laughs> bye. Bye-bye. Bye.